Good morning, Connection Point Church. I hope that you are excited for another Sunday in Ecclesiastes. It's going to be a good one. We're going to start off with another giveaway. This week, I'm going to be giving away something special. I'm going to give away this right here. This is a Sunday journal. We really want to encourage y'all to take some notes. So this is just a blank journal, but it says on it, Sunday. We've got a good studio audience today. So we're going to be giving this away. Here's how we're going to give it away this week. I want you to, in the chat, I want you to tell me who the most random, obscure celebrity you've ever encountered in the wild is. Now, it can't be Tom Cruise or an A-lister. I'm talking D-lister, C-lister, somebody that's, that most of us are going to be like, really? Some of us are going to be like, I don't even know that I'd want to meet that person, okay? I want to know who your most random celebrity is. And at the end, Michaela and Hudson are going to give away, they're going to, they're going to bring their favorites, and then the studio audience, let's hear it, yeah. is going to decide who gets the Sunday Journal. So I want to say, uh, first of all, just hello to y'all worshiping. I see Lynn's on here, Reggie, Cindy, Connor. It's good. Anne, Ashley, Crystal. I see a lot of y'all. Very good. So y'all make sure you say hi. Let me know that you're on here as well. And we want you interacting throughout the entire message. Now, when it comes to celebrity D-listers, I think I had probably one of the, I think the most random celebrities. In fact, I, I think that if you're under 40 or 35, you're probably not even going to know who this celebrity is. But when I was young, and I'm talking I was probably between 6 and 10, I went on a vacation to Los Angeles. And we went on one of those celebrity tours, and I barely remember it. I remember seeing the little place where they race the cars in Greece. And then I remember this one moment where they had promised us the whole tour that we were going to get to see a celebrity. And so we're thinking, wow, I'm going to see Sylvester Stallone. I'm going to see somebody, you know, somebody big. And then he, by the way, that's the most famous celebrity that popped into my mind right here. So, um, so we're going through this whole thing. We're seeing all these houses of people I've never heard of. And then we get to the end, and we haven't seen a celebrity. They take us to this deli, and the tour guide said, okay, in here is where the celebrities hang out. Go in here, look to the right, because they usually don't sit near the door or the window. So you look around to the right. And so our entire tour bus unloads, goes into a deli, a random deli, and we look around, and sure enough, there was a celebrity there. It was Mr. Olson from Little House on the Prairie, okay? And we all walk, I mean, a whole tour bus unloads to see Mr. Olson, uh, who was the shop owner in Little House on the Prairie. And he, I just remember, he's eating, you know, whatever, his ham and rye, and he just looks up to see a whole tour bus, and his confusion was almost equal to our confusion of, okay, I can't see the celebrity, Mr. Olson's in the way. And so... We kind of walked away. Thank you, Heidi. Somebody found my joke funny. Now, we walked in and we walked out of there onto the bus. And I just remember this kind of deflated feeling of, is that it? You know, we got a celebrity tour. They, I mean, on it, it says, you will see celebrities. And we saw Mr. Olson. And it was just this deflating, oh, are you serious? And when I was thinking about that story, because this whole series kind of has this feeling of, you know what, sometimes we go through life and we, we have these high expectations, but then all of a sudden we just have moments where we're like, is that it? Is this 
all. This is good as it gets. And my, my fear, and the reason I wanted to preach this message this morning, is my fear is that there's going to be a lot of us that spend our entire lives chasing things that we think are going to bring us so much enjoyment, and we're going to find out that we get to the end of our life, or maybe you just get to the midlife, or maybe you just get a few years into pursuing your dreams, and you just sit around and you think, is that it? Because the worst thing that we can do is chase Hevel. And so I want to remind us last week, we had a couple of, of keys that kind of unlock this book. And some of the key, the two keys from last week, in fact, if you can beat me to it, I would love to, uh, for you to put that in the chat. But there were two keys. One of them was the idea of Hevel or vanity. And if you remember, we had that idea of Hevel meaning smoke or mist. And the idea is that many of us chase our entire life what the Bible calls or what Ecclesiastes calls meaninglessness or vanity. And that is, it's hevel. It just hangs around us. We think we can grasp it, but you can never get it. And in fact, today we're going to see, it says sometimes it's like chasing hevel. Or, or the actual translation is hurting your breath or hurting mist. It, it, it can't be done. You've heard of hurting cats. Well, this is even harder. Hurting the mist, hurting your breath. You can't do it. And so a lot of the things that Solomon was going to go after, that the Koaleth, the preacher, goes after in Ecclesiastes, he turns out it's not real. It doesn't exist. He thought it was there, and it just made things less certain, less clear. And the other phrase that we hit last week was, under the sun. And Solomon says this, anytime he wants to kind of chase, this is an experiment he introduced last week, where he, was, he said, last week was a whole introduction, and he said, I'm going to, to do an experiment where I'm going to chase meaning, I'm going to chase purpose, and I'm going to try to find that by, by, by removing the idea of God under the sun. I'm never going to look to the heavens, I'm never going to look to God, I'm only going to pursue meaning under the sun. And so hopefully you've highlighted those because I'm going to give you two more keys that I want you to highlight today. I want you to highlight or underline the word pleasure and the word toil this week. Pleasure and toil. And I want you to underline it throughout the entire Bible. Because what we want to do today is understand when we talk about toil or work, that, that there's a lot of a potential there to find Hevel and the same for pleasure. So Verse 1, the experiment starts. We're going to get into the experiment. He's actually, in, in chapter 1, he told us what he was going to do. He's going to see if there's any meaning under the sun. And now he's going to go after it in verse 1. He says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure. What use is it? Reminds me kind of... Uh, of Every morning when I walk Annie to the bus, she always wants to chase rabbits. She wants to go after a rabbit, and sometimes we'll sneak up on a rabbit, and we'll get to where we're four feet away, but I tell her, don't look at the rabbit, and don't, don't act like you're going after, but she can't help herself. Eventually, she just wants to pick up this rabbit, and she will just go after and run after it, and as soon as she does, that rabbit is gone, never to be seen again, and Solomon says, I'm going to go after this, and I'm going to see if it's like chasing a rabbit, if it's like... Hevel. Now, before we get into this, I just got to give an Ecclesiastes disclaimer. 
that some of us might read Ecclesiastes and say, you know what, it would be fun. Maybe I will go on a testing journey as well, and I will do whatever I want. I want to encourage you this phrase, under the sun. First of all, Ecclesiastes has already been written. It's a done deal, and he's doing this without God. So if you are in Christ, if you are a Christian, there's no loophole here. There's no way to kind of sneak in and say, no, this is what we call sin, okay? A lot of this is what the, the Bible, when we're in Christ, when we're looking and bringing God into the mix, we're trying to please God, then you can't go on the, the Solomon journey here. And besides, it's already been done. We already know where it leads. And so you can't do that, and there's no loophole, so don't try to convince yourself that there are. But I do want you to see that he's writing for a, spe- uh, a, a specific audience. He's writing to people who, have, who are trending secular at a rapid pace. That is, people who, they come from a culture that loved God and followed God, but now they're thinking what, what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery, and that is the idea that, that as you progress in life, as cultures progress, eventually, you know, those old, the old ways, they don't know what they're talking about. And so, He's writing to people who kind of had this mentality. They were, they were middle to upper class. They weren't poor. They were beginning to, to be able to, to care for themselves. They didn't need God for their daily bread anymore. And a lot of times that triggers, well, do we need God for, for anything else? And that's who he's writing to. He says, listen, I'm going to write this book, and I want you to see where your, where your, your worldview is going to take you, where this pursuing things under the sun takes you. He said, I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under the heaven for his few days of their life. Very, very positive this this Solomon uh, character is. I made great works. I built great houses. I built houses, planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks. I planted them with all kinds of fruit trees. I made pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. So here's what Solomon's doing. He's saying, listen, I spent the first part of my life, this is kind of the freshman year of college, Solomon, okay? This is, I, I decided I'm just going all out, I'm going to drink as much wine, I'm going to, he says I'm going to pursue folly, we would say, I'm going to get crazy, I'm going to have just a blast, but he says, I'm not going to lose my wisdom, I'm never going to do this without trying to find the meaning behind it, the purpose behind it. And he goes on this experiment, and he, and he figures out, you know, it's just, that's the pleasure search, the pure getting drunk pleasure party scene, that wasn't there, but I started to see, well, maybe this is kind of the grad school Solomon. He, he graduates to, maybe I can build great things. Maybe I can achieve some great things. And he begins to decide, okay, maybe I, I can make the best uh, houses, plants vineyards. He plants forests and, and parks for people to enjoy. In fact, in 1 Kings, we learn about the, the historical Solomon, what he did. This is what it says his daily provisions were. In 1 Kings uh, 4.22, Solomon's daily provisions were 30 cores of, not that type of cores, y'all settle down, were 30 cores of the finest flour, 60 cores of meal, 10 head of stall-fed cattle, but who wants the stall-fed cattle because he had 20 pasture-fed cattle. So actually the stall-fed's probably better because it's, right? Anyway, a uh, hundred sheep and goats, as well as deer, gazelles, roebucks, that's a lot of coffee, and choice fowl. Solomon had, this is verse 26, had 4,000 stalls for chariots and 12,000 
horses. His car collection was enormous, okay? Now, most people say, most of the commentaries will say, this is anywhere from uh, 5,000 to 15,000 people a day that he was feeding. Now, the discrepancy that 10,000 is, was it teenage boys or was it normal people? We don't know who was eating his food. But 15,000 people a day is what the parties he's putting up, okay? Think about that, 15,000 a day. He says, I brought male and female slaves. I had slaves who were born in my house. I had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been seen um, before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold, the treasure of kings and provinces. Now, what he's saying here is, listen, I didn't have to do anything I didn't want to do, and anything I wanted, I got. I got all the shiny things, and I didn't even have to scratch my back. I had slaves that would do that, and then they had children, and I had slaves of slaves. I had anything I wanted. I, I had somebody that would brush my teeth for me if I wanted them to. There was nothing I had to do unless I wanted to do it, and anything I wanted, I had. And then he's going to start showing off. He said, I got singers, both men and women. I, I, was, I looked this up just because I was curious. Did you know that for a fee, you can rent Kanye, Sting, J-Lo, uh, Beyonce, anyone with one name, apparently, you can rent them for a birthday. In fact, this has been done. There have been uh, kings in the Middle East and, and sultans or whatever that have had all these celebrities come play. Uh, Dana White, who, who, is the, um, who runs the UFC, he had Kendrick Lamar for his son's 16th birthday perform. And for his 50th birthday, he had Gwen Stefani and Don Henley perform. And, and I was thinking about this. For his biggest day of, of his life, his 50th birthday, he, he got these celebrities. And now you think about Solomon, and to him, that's a Tuesday. For him, he's have, he has the celebrities every single day. He's got the most famous person that's headlining Jerusalem that day. He's got them in his house. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny, um, in the next room, maybe we can set it off. I've got an Alexa, and I can just say, hey, Alexa, play this song. I'm not going to do it because she's probably going to play a song right now. But it, it's funny that, see, there she goes, <laughs> on cue. Now, the look, I got music going now. <laughs> now they're scrambling to turn the music off. So, um, but it's, it's funny, Solomon, think about this. If Solomon wanted to turn down Beyonce, he would literally say, hey, Beyonce, can you keep it down? Because she's just playing in the background of his parties. That's the level that he's going here, okay? There's nothing like it. Now, if you think, okay, I can, I can conceive of that. Here's the next one. And many concubines, his delight, the, the delight of the sons of man. 1 Kings 11.3 tells us he has 700 wives, most of them princesses, and 300 concubines. Now, the interesting thing about 300 concubines, first of all, 700 wives, okay, why is the question that pops into our, our head, right? How is another question. But I want you to understand, there's a thousand women literally at his disposal, and they are princesses, which means they're coming from lands all over any eye color, any, any uh, race, every single, the diversity. Here's what I want you to see. Solomon had literally fulfilled every fantasy that you could ever, ever conceive of. 
And that is not a hyperbole. He, he honestly had a thousand women who were waiting at his beck and call that whatever he wanted, he had. And he says in verse 9, he says, So I became great and surpassed all who were before me. And this isn't just a, a, a boast. If you've got Beyonce headlining all your parties on a Tuesday, you're probably pretty popular. When you're feeding everybody steaks and barbecue every night, everybody wants to be around you. And this is what he said. He said, And whatever my desire, eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from my heart no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil. This was the reward for all my toil. And so here's what, here's what as a parent, you don't read this verse to your kids, okay? Y'all cover Hudson's ears wherever he's at, because this is what it says. This is what he just said. He said, listen I, listen, I went after these things. I went after just pleasure. I went after just the things that would fulfill me. And it was fun. A lot of pastors will say, you know what, sin it ain't fun, but that's where... You know, some people roll their eyes and you're like, you don't really know how to sin then, right? Solomon says, listen, I've done every party and I can tell you, yeah, they were fun. I had a good time. But he, he keeps going and he begins to discover, but life isn't just about pleasure. Look at the next verse in 11. He says, then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that had been expended doing it. In other words, he got to the end of... of it was Monday was awesome, Tuesday was, woo, was it fun. But Wednesday, man, I mean, Wednesday we had to outdo. I was still kind of hungover from Tuesday. It was kind of a, and then Thursday, people still want me to come out, but I'm just excited. Friday, he gets to this point where he sits down on, on Saturday, and he's like, I don't even know if I want to keep doing this. Maybe life isn't about this. He says, I consider my hands all that I've done and expended doing it. And behold, it was what? Hevel. It was vanity and striving for the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. I got all the pleasure I wanted, and I realized I didn't need pleasure. That's not what I was going after. Now, I want to give you two keys for, uh, or two ideas for pleasure, okay? Pleasure, there are two problems with looking for pleasure that Solomon kind of gets under, that, uh, that Solomon discovers. The first thing is this, is that pleasure is never enough, it is never enough. You have to keep riding the wave. If, you, um, if you've ever been around an addict or if you've been addicted, you know there's this thing in dependency where you, you build up a tolerance and you have to go harder and harder. You have to get more and more. Uh, in this church, when we started, um, we, we chased this kind of a little bit at the beginning. We, we did big events. Our first event we did, we had Christmas with snow in the ballroom. And then the next year, we're like, how are we going to top that? And we quickly decided we can't top that. And then we had an egg drop. We dropped eggs out of a helicopter. We had four or 5,000 people show up. And the next, week, next year, we start thinking, how are we going to top that? And it just quickly dawned on us you know what, if we keep trying to go bigger and better and if we keep trying to build our church on just having fun in these events, it's not going to last. We cannot do it. It's going to exhaust us trying to go out. That's what he finds. The next thing I want you to see is that it limits your pleasure. That if you chase pleasure under the sun, it limits. It is too limited. Now, most of us, when we think about pleasure, we think God is here to, to, to limit our pleasure. That's who God is. It's, if there's something fun, God puts it on a list and you can't do it. That's how many of us think about God. 
But I want to challenge us on this, okay? The, um, uh, a few weeks ago, I was coming home, and I saw Golden Chick was having this thing where they give away uh, corny dogs. I just call them corn dogs because there's only one place you get corny dogs. And, and I got these corn dogs, and I spent five bucks a piece, and I, I got three of them. I, I had four kids waiting to eat, though. And I just got three because I couldn't, at some point I was just like five bucks for a corn. And so I went home and I got a mixed in the corn dogs I bought that were supposed to be state fair corn dogs. And I mixed them in with the microwave corn dogs. My kids couldn't tell the difference. Because here's what I know. There is, there is a difference between sitting at home. If you're sitting at home, a microwave corn dog or a fake corn, a corny dog from the state fair is, is, is totally different than if you're sitting under big techs. Unless you're eating a corn, corny dog, that's where you can get a corny dog. And if you have a corny dog under big techs, they are scientifically engineered to taste better in that location. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so I knew, you know what? They're never going to know because here's what I want you to see. I'm going to ask y'all some questions. Who invented grapes? God, not Papa John. We discovered that last year. Yes, God invented grapes. And when we think about wine, he went after wine. I want you to think about this. God wasn't up there looking at Adam and Eve, and he's like, here's some grapes, and they're eating a few, and then they put them in the back. And he's like, wait a second, what are y'all doing with my grapes? We are going to let them go bad? What are you doing mashing up my grapes? What are you doing? He wasn't surprised when wine came up, because if God invented grapes, who invented wine? God invented wine. I want you to think about this. And it comes to, to sex. Who invented sex? God, it was his idea. Let me read to you Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 through 31. So God created man in his um, own image. The image of God he created them, male and female. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. How do we do this? Well, we, we, it's a command. He puts Naked, a naked man and a naked woman in a garden, a field, doesn't even say, hey, y'all stay behind the bedroom. He says, here's a field. Here, here is the garden. And he says, and rule over it, the fish in the, the sea, the birds in the sky, over every living creature on the ground. He says, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the earth, every tree that has fruit in it. This will be yours to all the beasts of the earth and the, all the birds of the sky, all the creatures that move along the ground. Everything that has breath in it, I give green plants for food, and it was so. And God saw all that he had made. It was the very, very good, he says. And there was an evening, and there was morning. It was the sixth day. Amen for the sixth day, right? Oh, my goodness. The sixth day, God invented not just uh, sex. He commanded, hey, go out and have a good time. And he said, I give you all of this. This is all from the giver. You know, part of Ecclesiastes is a longing to get back to the garden, and you can see it, okay? But, but when we think about God limiting our pleasure, I would tell you God gives us your pleasure. If anything, you are the one limiting. This is what C.S. Lewis said in The Weight of Glory. In fact, it's on the very first page. It says this, if we consider the unblushing promises and rewards and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospel. Now, what are some of those? Eternal life, acceptance from God, forgiveness. But do you know Jesus also says you're going to be rewarded a hundred times what you have on earth? When you're in heaven. I mean, think about this. This is what he says. He says, when you think about the rewards and promises in the gospel, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but what? Too weak. 
He says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot, he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. You know, when you think about that, it is amazing. In fact, he wrote another book called The Screwtape Letters where he had demons trying to figure out how they were going to corrupt the, the Christ followers. And one of the demons says this, you know, God is a hedonist at heart. Everything must be twisted for our pleasure. In other words, God has given us more than we could ever use to corrupt someone. So we have to twist the good things, God, is what the demon said. Solomon lives a life chasing pleasure and he realizes, I don't want the gift, I want the giver. The next thing he says, he's maturing a little bit now. He's going to go after wisdom. So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can a man do that comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Now Solomon chased wisdom. We know this. This is what 1 Kings 4, 32 says. He spoke 3,000 proverbs. That's about 2,999 more than me. And his songs he numbered 1,005. That's 1,005 more than me. And he spoke about plants of life. This is my favorite thing about Solomon. He spoke about plant life. He spoke about the cedars of Lebanon to the hyssop to the, that grows out of the wall. He spoke about animals and birds and reptiles and fish. People would come from all nations to listen to Solomon's wisdom. He could talk about anything. He knew everything. He was wise. But he says, I saw that there is, um, there is more gain in wisdom than folly. It's better than what I was doing. He says, as there is more light um, to gain in light than darkness, the wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And I perceive that the same event happens to them all. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will, help in, will happen to me also. Then why have I become very, so very wise? I said in my heart that this is also hevel. It is also vanity for the wise are as of the fool. There is no enduring remembrance seeing that the days are to come that the fools have been long forgotten, that we will all have been long forgotten, how the wise die just like the fools. Solomon discovers what I think is the greatest apologetic, and that is when you live a life with no considering uh, God, it doesn't matter how wise you, are, wise you are, how great you become, if you become the best, smartest person on earth, it is all hevel. It will not last. There is no meaning in life apart from God. And he, he begins to discover, even if I win in this life, I'm going to go into the grave and be or I'm going to be buried next to a fool. And no one's going to know the difference in two generations. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous for me. It was hevel striving after the wind. Now he is not being a cynic here. He's being a realist. He's, he's warning us. He says, listen, I chased every fantasy I have I became the greatest person I could possibly be. I won every contest. And you know what I found? Is when I sat at the end of the day, I was exhausted. And I thought, if I'm going to get anything from this, I've got to keep doing it and doing it. I couldn't just sit there and say, wow, what a gift this day was. Because I had to keep it going. I heard uh, Mike Tyson say, and any quote that's attributed to Mike Tyson probably means he didn't say it. Somebody attributed it to him. But he would get up at four in the morning and, uh, to run because he knew somebody was always chasing him. Somebody was always preparing to fight him. And so he always had to have that edge. And that's how some of us do our lives when we live under the sun is I've always got to be going or I'm going to lose a step. He says, I hated my toil in which I toiled under the sun. 
So now I'm going to repeat that. I hated my work, which I worked under the sun. I want somebody on here right now. There's a tab you can go to, a Bible tab. I want you to look up this verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. And I want you to paste that in the chat, okay? Because this is a, I don't have time to preach on it, but Paul gives a different perspective when you're not under the sun. But Solomon says, when you're under the sun, I hated my work, seeing that I must leave it to a man who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise, wise or a fool. Yet he will be a master, he will be the master for all which I toiled and use my wisdom under the sun. This is hevel, this is vanity. I turned up my and gave up my heart to despair over the works of my labor under the sun. Because sometimes a person has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill and must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who didn't toil for it. You know what? Let's just be real. Our kids may not, may, may not be able to, to handle what we give on to them. And so he says, listen, whether it's your children or whether it's another worker, everything I have is going to probably be screwed up down the line. And it may not be in one generation, but eventually it all goes away and it will be a waste. This is vanity, a great evil. What is a man from all the toil, all the striving of his heart in which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of uh, sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even at night his heart does not rest. This is hevel. He realized I'm not building anything that's going to last. So he's going to give us a summary. And this is, to me, this is what we need to hear. He says, There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat, drink, and find enjoyment in his toil. Now, wait a second. He had just said, he had just said, I hated my toil, under the sun, but here he says, there's nothing better than to enjoy your toil. But he doesn't say under the sun this time, because he says there's another way. He says, then I saw it is from the hand of God. So now he's going to look above the sun. He's going to bring God into the equation. He says, for apart from him, who can eat and have enjoyment? For to one who pleases God has given wisdom. And uh, who gave it? God gave it. It was given. It was a gift. Everything he had, even his work was a gift from God. And when he started looking at this, all of a sudden he found wisdom and knowledge and joy into the sinner. And this is the first we've heard about sinner because all of a sudden he brought joy, he brought God into the equation. And so a sinner would be someone rebelling against God. He said, but those who are rebelling against God, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This is hevel. This is vanity striving after the wind. He says this, he says, if you are not going to go after God, if you are not going to live a life trying to, to pursue and please God, everything that you attain someday into eternity is going to be given to somebody who's living eternally, somebody who is living with God. It is a waste to do anything unless it is a gift. You see it as a gift from God. Jesus says it this way, a little more harsh. In John 12, 25, Jesus says, Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. You realize when you look above the sun, it changes everything about where the meaning and, and the purpose comes from. We long to get back to the garden, and God gives us a promise, something better than the garden. He gives us himself. Now, we know that sin has broken our life. Sin has broken our rebellion from God has separated us from him. And so most of us live a life with just hevel. We live a life with maybe a 10-year plan or a five-year plan. How many of y'all have, have, have like a, in your mind a five-year plan of where you want to be in five years? Now listen, 10 years ago, 
I had a, <laughs> we haven't got any plans going on up in here, okay? Now listen, now 10 years ago, we were starting this church, and I will tell you, I had plans for this church, okay? I wanted us to be at this many uh, people. I wanted us to be in a, in a building or this and that. had all these plans. And you know what happened when I got to the 10 years? I realized that all the things that I wanted would have been disastrous, that, that really I wanted entirely different things. And I'm glad I didn't spend that 10 years chasing it. I'm glad I didn't spend that 10 I just lost our people. Are we good? Yeah, there we go. I want to make sure I'm still with you, not preaching to myself. Now, here's what I want you to see. You have this 10 years, and some of us are going to go 10-year plan, and we're going to get and realize that's not where I wanted to be. And we're going to make another 10-year plan, another five-year plan, and you're going to just continue to just make these plans, and every time you're going to get there and say, that's not where I want to be. That's what I thought I wanted, but that's not what I want. And eventually you're going to die, and at the end you're going to realize, you know what? I didn't get anywhere I wanted to be because I didn't know what? It was all hevel. But I want to give you a picture of Solomon hinted at it when he said, listen, when I looked above, all of a sudden I saw that there was a giver. There was a gift giver. And I, I began to see meaning and purpose. But in, in Revelation chapter 4, we see a picture of true kings that have encountered a risen Christ. In other words, true kings that live life in a broken world where death had destroyed everything, but then they saw the risen Christ, and this is how they responded. This is Revelation 4, 9. It says, whenever, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor to God and thank him who is seated on the throne, that's Jesus, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down. Anytime somebody praises, these 24 elders who have a lot of glory, they live good, worthy lives on earth. It says, they were seated on the throne. Anytime... They, they would cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive the glory and honor and power, for we are crea you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So these kings, these elders, when they, when they look at everything they had, they had these crowns that they had earned, they had deserved, but yet when they get in the glory of the risen Christ, what do they do? They take them and they throw them at the feet of Jesus because they realize all of the stuff I worked for, all of the gifts that I, I was able to enjoy, now I've got the giver. I've got the gift giver. If there's anything I could tell you from reading Ecclesiastes chapter 2, if you want to enjoy your life, you need to give your life to Jesus. There's no better decision if you want to have fun in life, if you want to live a life of fun. C.S. Lewis has a quote. He says, I knew that I didn't need religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port could do that. But he said, if you want religion to make you feel comfortable, I don't recommend Christianity. Because we've realized there's something even better than being comfortable. There's something better than even pleasure. And here's what I want you to see is my fear is that some of us here are living counterfeit joy. We're eating microwave corn dogs when we could be sitting under big techs. We're going to the grocery store and we're, we're eating barbecue out of the deli when we could be at the salt lick, looking over a vineyard or in, uh, where would be another, Black's Barbecue, eating some, some great barbecue. Can I get an amen? But some of us, we spend our lives we pursue pleasure. Maybe it's from pornography or, or sex outside of design. And we think, man, this is fantastic. But, but I will tell you that if you've ever committed your life to another person and you realize, you know what, I'm in a covenant with someone 
who I'm going to not just experience the highs, but I'm also going to experience the lows. And I know that, that God has blessed this and there's no guilt, there's no shame. Then there's a difference and you'll never experience it until you decide to look above the sun. You know, some people spend their whole lives drinking wine, trying to erase the past, trying to forget and escape this life. And there's a totally different perspective when you are sitting in the fellowship with friends and enjoying a glass of wine, but in doing it without guilt, knowing that, you know what, this is a gift from God. Here's what I want you to see. Many of us use these pursuits of pleasure. We use the pursuits that we, we follow because we think it'll never get any better than this. I got, I, got to, I got to blow it up now. I got to go crazy now. It'll never get better than this. But the, when you give your life to Christ and you realize, man, this is a gift. This day is awesome. This is a, a fantastic day and it gets better. In fact, it gets better every day. And, and when I screw up, I'm forgiven. I can move on. I'm not held to my past. But it, it's eternity. I get eternity. I'm going to close with two quotes. This is C.S. Lewis. He says this, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Jesus says this, I have come so that you may have life and you may have it abundantly. If you go after the giver, you get to enjoy all the gifts. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for giving us a book that just gets real with us for giving us a book that says, listen, you can go after these things. You can chase them, but if you do, you will not find what you're looking for. You'll find that even though you may have momentary pleasure, there will be no meaning for it. And then the next time you want pleasure, you're going to have to go after even more. Lord, you have offered us infinite joy, infinite pleasure with you. So Lord, right now, I lift up all of those watching this, and maybe they have, have already trusted you, but they, they've spent their lives pursuing heaven, looking for things under the sun and not looking to the giver. Lord, I pray right now that you'll convict them of their heart and that they'll just decide, you know what, this week, I want to spend every moment, anytime I'm going after chasing a pleasure rather than chasing that gift, I want to stop and I want to give thanks to the giver of this gift. I want to spend time trying to pursue fellowship with the giver of all gifts. To those that may not be Christ followers here, that may just be listening for whatever reason, maybe this was shared, Lord, I just pray right now you will begin to just give them a taste of what it's like to follow you. Lord, we can never really know what it's like to be forgiven, what it's like to be able to enjoy all the things that even some churches have said, hey, that's sinful, don't do that. But we're able to say, you know what, this is a gift from God. And when I follow him and obey him and I put his gifts in the right place, I am free to enjoy everything. Lord, I pray that this will be the most hedonistic, God-loving church, that we will pursue pleasure like no other people on earth, but we will do it by seeking the giver, not the gift. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.